forever. Dog. Hey everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel for eleven years straight now. Um, we got a great episode today. I think you're going to enjoy it. Lots of good stuff to take from this, as there always is. If you enjoy the program, please do two things for me. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I promise there's lots of good writing stuff on there, and most of it not from me. I'll uh, bring your attention to really terrific writers who have a lot of insight uh, into the process and the business. And um, please also leave a review on iTunes. I know none of us even use iTunes anymore, but... That's where uh, the ad dollars come from. And um, this podcast is, you know, not free to make. Uh, so it's really helpful if we can keep those ads coming in. Thank you for doing that. And thanks for listening, as always. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you all for being here. This is how a podcast starts. Uh, what I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourself on the microphone so the listener knows what you sound like, and tell us some places where they may have seen your name on their television movie uh, screen or elsewhere. My name is Rodney Barnes. I'm executive producer of Winning Time for HBO. Uh, you may have seen me or my credits on shows like Everybody Hates Chris, The Boondocks, American Gods, um, Runaways, and a few others. Great. Uh, and I want to plug Philadelphia, uh, your oh. comic book, which I love. Uh, Thank you very I'm, much. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Uh, we're not going to talk about it at all, but come back so we can. <laughs> okay. Happy to. Appreciate it. Hi, um, my name is Simone Finch. I'm the creator and executive producer of Single Drunk Female for Freeform. Uh, it's coming out uh, this uh, Thursday, the 20th. Anyways, um, I have written for shows. They, I'm, I'm new here, and I've written for The Connors. And that's it. So um, I feel really lesser than Rodney, but that's okay. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Incredibly, you're uh, both doing the same job. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so exactly. come on. Okay. Hi, I'm Marissa Joe Sarar. Um, everyone calls me MJ. I am the showrunner, executive producer of Women of the Movement, a limited event series currently airing on Thursdays on ABC and streaming on Hulu. Uh, prior to creating the show, I wrote on uh, the Freeform series, The Fosters, Fox's limited series, Shots Fired, Netflix's 13 Reasons Why, and Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. Great. Um, these are, these are for all of you, heavy-hitting resumes. So I feel like we have a lot to talk about, yourself included, Simone, so stop. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just old. That's the only reason why I've been old. So I don't know if you want to trade. Well, let me, Rodney, let me ask you this. Yes. You've, you've been at this for a while. You've got uh, a great string of credits. Um, when it comes time to pitch something um, like Winning Time, does it get easier? Um, I think for me, pitching in general has gotten easier in the past five years. I used to think a lot about, in the beginning, I got a lot of horror stories. We don't have enough time for horrible pitches that I've been a part of. And 
what was under them being horrible is I really cared about what the person across from me was thinking. And I was more focused on that than I was actually on the project that I was pitching. And around 2012, 2013, um, I started to get to a place where I stopped thinking about them. And I really started to focus more on what I was pitching. Um, and whatever the outcome was, the outcome was. And it really, really helped my average of uh, success rise because um, I was just cooler and comfortable and more, I represented myself better. It was more authentic because I was more focused on the project and the thing that I was involved in and creating. Then again, the outcome or the person across or the multiple people, because I always felt like Morgan Freeman at the end of uh, Shawshank, <laughs> like in front of the parole board. You know, there's a certain point where I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. And then it's like, you know what? Fuck it. You did say we could cuss. And <laughs> I'm just going to do me and hope for the best. And that seems to have um, helped things. That's incredible advice for anyone who is tackling this, but it's hard to do. I mean, there's so much. If you fail enough, it gets in. easier. It's like <laughs> at a certain point, this thing that I hate to do, which like talk to strangers, you know, and hopefully they see what I see and I get what I want. Yeah. That's so, that was so difficult and foreign to me because I come from a small town and I wasn't really accustomed to selling. I'm not a salesman. It's like I walked this introvert, slightly extrovert line and just walking in a room with warm water to drink and sitting there with people staring at me was never a place where I was comfortable. And then, like I said, it gets to a place if you fail enough and you get enough no's that it becomes easier to say, you know what, I'm just going to do the best version of me I can do. And mm -hmm you know, hopefully they like it. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to loop back around and talk specifically about some of the projects you pitch. I, I we have time for the horror stories. Um, oh, but, okay. Uh, MJ, let's hear about um, pitching for you. I mean, you were both nodding along as Rodney yeah. was talking about this, um, but I'm, I'm specifically curious about women of the movement and how you got this show off the ground. Well, the Morgan Freeman Shawshank example, it just like struck me. It is exactly that. <laughs> that is my experience. I did the exact same thing. I mean, before even pitching, but just writing um, when I was, you know, before I'd ever optioned, sold, ever been staffed, I was writing what I thought people wanted to buy versus mm -hmm. what I actually wanted to write, the stories I wanted to tell, the stories I was capable of telling and excited to dig in and do the, the deep dives and research um, that most of the things I do require. So with women of the movement, um, I was not looking for a job. I was on hiatus from The Handmaid's Tale and it was a very, uh, it was a long year. I had been to Toronto in February a couple times. <laughs> I wanted to take a break. I wanted to hang out with my, my young daughter uh, and I wanted to take the summer off, but I, a friend of mine had started working at Capital Entertainment, uh, the studio, and they, I, they were like, my boss read your stuff and really wants you to just do it, General, please just do it. And I was like, okay. I'll do it. I just don't want to, I'm not like looking to, to do anything else right now, but I sat down with Aaron Kaplan. He mentioned Emmett Till. I said, oh, I did, like, I just thought, oh my God. Okay. Someone needs to tell the story. I think it's supposed to be me because I wanted to tell it from a mother's point of view. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I felt like it really, that hadn't been done, that it 
could be the true crime version, which certainly there's a place for that. But I felt like to really do the story justice, we wanted to meet the boy and the mother and the family and really come at it from a family drama point of view wrapped in a, a crime story that happens to be true, but not a true crime yeah. series. And so I spent like months just researching and they kept calling me like, are you going to pitch your take? You're going to pitch your take. And I was like, no, I just need to like, I really need to like get to know the people, read every book, watch every documentary. And then I just spent a couple of weeks and I just did every episode. I basically wrote the Bible and pitched it. And then uh, they ordered the, for me to write the first two episodes and then waited, 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 waited for the world to shut down. And when the world shut down, I was like, okay, this, this is not happening. They're not going to order a writer's room. It's just, I'm going to eat Doritos and drink wine like the rest of the world. And then they said, we want to order a writer's room. And I had a five week writer's room. It was wow. insane. Uh, but we did it and wrote, got all the scripts written. And then a few months later, uh, the series was ordered and we ultimately shot in Mississippi. Fantastic. Um, let's talk about that pitch specifically. What I mean, after doing all that research and knowing these people inside and out, what does that pitch look like? Well, for me, it was, you know, I always been really personal and I never follow the little document that agents and studios give to writers <laughs> because it says, I think it says something like a little bit about you, then lists a paragraph of character, 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 or no teaser, character, 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 pilot, tone, episodes. And I'm like, I want to talk about who the characters are within the body of the, the, the story of the episodes. I don't want to list a bunch of stuff about them. I want to talk to you. I want to pitch the story and hopefully reveal their character in my pitch. So that's what I did. But I, I did open with very personal stories, why I thought I needed to be the one to tell it, why I thought it was the right time to tell this particular story. And then I just really did a detail. I mean, it was an hour pitch. My pitches are really long. Um, I always warn everybody for meetings. I'm like, please <laughs> tell them because I will be humiliated if you walk out and when I'm like bearing my soul to you um, in a pitch. But it was, you know, I pitched my connection, you know, what my take was. Then I, the pilot, and then I went and I did brief, you know, episodically what, how many episodes I thought it should be, what all of those episodes were. And we could, you know, if in success, if we were to have, uh, you know, if really this could be a true anthology, what future seasons, different people who we could explore in future seasons is how I, I wrapped it up. It makes sense. And what do you think it was that they responded to? Uh, you know, it's, Really getting to know more than the picture. A lot of people who do know who Emmett Till was, they know a picture of a boy. Uh, they know a picture from him alive, a picture right. of his brutalized body. They don't know that his mother was a very young mother. She had him when she was a teenager and it, just her bravery. And I think just the true story that people think they know and you have no idea. I think that uh, that resonated, but I think also just, you know, deeply emotional. I pitch like with my soul, I always cry. I try not to, I say, don't, I put a sticker on my computer now. I say, do not <laughs> cry. Um, I do, but I think it was just a combination of the time uh, and just the right people involved. And it was really, um, it just sort of happened. Fantastic. Um, and it's great. And uh, as you mentioned at the top, um, the show is already airing. Folks should go check yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's dope. Oh, thank I really you. Enjoy it. It. Yes. Oh, I, thank you. I have thank it you on so ADR and I mean, uh, ADR, DVR. <laughs> and um, see, I'm at work. 
and um, <laughs> really enjoy it. So yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. I really appreciate that. Um, Simone, let's talk about pitching uh, Single Drunk Female and what yeah. that looked like for you. Why was why was the time? Why was the opportunity right? And what did the pitch look like? Um, so I tried selling it for two years uh, and I got a lot of no's um, and, and it was dead in the water. And my manager um, got a new director on his slate and he loved it. And, and that director knew someone at Freeform. And, um, and that's how this started. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it would be another no. Um, and my pitch, actually, it's so funny that, um, MJ, you mentioned how, how a pitch is laid out. My pitch was very much about my personal life. I'm an alcoholic, I'm sober today. And my story, Single Drunk Female, is about basically a girl um, like me getting sober um, back home in Boston, which is where I'm from. Basically, it's if I got sober on my mother's couch instead of Los Angeles. Um, and that would have been very harrowing. So I wrote that <laughs> down. And, um, you know, the pitch was really, honestly, it was really personal. I talked a lot about my experience with alcoholism. And some people might say that I shouldn't have done that. But um, I find today that people are looking for authenticity, which is why I think MJ sold her script um because i would love someone to cry in a pitch i'd be like soul you know <laughs> i would that's it um but yeah it was it was a lot if now that you mentioned doing characters in the body i'm gonna copy you because i did do the characters after the fact and it didn't work i will say that part of it didn't work as well for me um in the same way um and did you let me about five pages yeah. Sure. For one sec, did you yeah. between the for the two years when you pitched it initially and got uh, rejected, did you change the pitch when you then went into freeform with the director? Um, we didn't really. How do I put this delicately? We didn't really pitch it properly. <laughs> <laughs> we just went to actors. We didn't know. We didn't know what we were doing. It was two film producers that had never been in the TV landscape. Oh, wow. Uh, and so they, we didn't know sort of what to do. And so it was, this was the first proper pitch of it. Uh, so it was my first technical proper pitch and I sold it within two hours. Oh uh, and I was on, the, I was in my boss's, I was in Bruce Helford's Audi driving to drop off a key. And I got the call and I was like, yeah. And I was driving his Audi at like 80 and I shouldn't have done that, so. <laughs> yeah i don't know if he i hope he doesn't listen to this so there you go <laughs> um uh bruce leave a leave a review on itunes if <laughs> um, so so what do you think freeform loved about this what made it indelible uh if it wasn't you know really a proper pitch I well no this was a proper pitch okay. this freeform was previously a pitch. Hadn't been. previously hadn't been gotcha. um, I think what they what they what they loved about it or why they bought it is it was authentic it was funny uh, my my real idea I mean the the story of this show is that sobriety is harrowing it's also really funny it's also disgusting it's also you know what I mean like like sobriety is sort of for me all the addiction storylines are really boring addiction is a cycle. It's really boring, but sobriety is brand new and it's exciting and it's scary. And that's how I pitched it. And that's how they, I think, bought it is because they had never seen it done quite that way. But it wasn't just this person that was like in between relapses. That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and, and I would have bought it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, want, I, I would have bought it instantly. Based on that description. Um, and it does feel like, I think what, what all of you have done with these most recent shows is something we often hear about, which is to pitch something that's familiar yet different, right? Um, you know, your, whether it's your personal take on it, whether it's the scope of it, a way in, whatever it is. And I think you all did that. I do want to circle back um, to Rodney and, and ask about pitching winning time and specifically how did that work? Uh, I didn't pitch winning time. Okay. That was an Adam McKay uh, thing that came through a different set of circumstances. I didn't realize I, you didn't go in with them. Okay. No, I didn't go in with them for the pitch. Uh, mm -hmm. I came in shortly thereafter through development. Gotcha. At that point. Um, and so, why were you? Why were you the guy? Um. Why well, was that a guy? Uh, well, again, I'm old. Um, <laughs> And a lot of this period sort of spoke to um, a lot of things that I knew personally. I think there's a common theme here when you talk to us about being able to be authentic and speak from your heart. I haven't cried yet. Uh, it's coming. I've cried for the negative because it didn't work out. I cried because of that. I never cried from the passion yet. I'm waiting to get to that place. But I think that um, when you can make it more of a conversation, and you can speak, I think there's a level of confidence that comes from speaking from what you know and from who you are and being honest. Um, any of the times that I would go in in the past to pitch things and I was coming from the introduction, the theme, the tone into what it is and then get to the characters. I would get nervous. Uh, I would try to be funny if it was a comedy and fail um, or dramatic or whatever. But anytime I was able to take the conversation in a direction of, um, being honest, speaking from the heart, making it personal, connecting to the material in a, in a way that this person across from me who doesn't have the same level of passion or connection to my project, um, they may be able to connect on a human level to me and the story that I'm telling. And it felt like the more I could get my pitches to that place versus the places that I started with early in my career, um, again, the level of success grew. And I got better at that over time, just being able to have a conversation um, and connecting with a person in a human way versus trying to sell someone something. You know, again, I'm a horrible salesman. So if I'm trying to sell you something um, and I don't feel like I'm getting what I, what I want, the reaction, the, the body language, the, mm -hmm. whatever I'm looking for, then my confidence begins to diminish and decrease and all of a sudden I just want to run out of room. I want to finish and I want to get in my car and go home. But the more I'm talking about something that I know, something that I feel, and I'm telling the truth, um, I'm the best version of me. And I think that is the best representation of whatever the material is I'm trying to sell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that applies to the writer's room too. I mean, I think that's oh, yeah. sort of the Definitely. thing that we're all looking for. Um, and I'd like to to transition to that conversation here about, you know, how are you running your rooms and what are you taking from past experiences? What did, you know, what did you learn from people who did it great? That's the one I want to hear first. Who did it great and, how, and what did you steal from them? Uh, anyone who wants to jump in. I just spoke. I'll come back after you guys. I'm um, I worked for, I, I mentioned Bruce before, um, I worked for Bruce for, as an assistant for three years, mm -hmm. and then as a staff writer for one year, 
And um, he just, Bruce is really good at maintaining people's spirits. You know, there's that point, at least in a network show in episode 17, where you want to kill yourself. And he just was like, all right, guys, let's like, we're going to do that. Like, he just maintains his excitement about the material. And I think that there was, even though my show is 10 episodes at around six or seven, we also like, we're kind of, you know, and I was like, all right, guys, like, we're going to, we're going to do this and duh. And they're like, okay, Simone, like, you're a little, <laughs> you know, cra- are, you, are you drinking again? No, no, no. But um, something like, especially on Zoom, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but the Zoom fatigue is real. And I think that maintaining interest and maintaining some level of like, um, trying to, to engage with the material is really important. I think Bruce was always really good at that. So just want to point that out there. How were you doing that over Zoom with your room? I mean, we, we sometimes would play like stupid games. I know it sounds, you know, but like just trying to, um, and also we would have um, gossip time where we talk about Hollywood gossip. <laughs> it was really helpful, you know, to, that everything, every, something everyone can engage with and, but something stupid and something you don't have to think about, yeah. um, which uh, I actually got from the artist way. Her thing is like, read something really dumb every day. And I love that because, <laughs> You know, I love reading dumb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, I mean, the thing, I feel like the thing I've heard the most about working in a Zoom room is you don't get that downtime, right? You don't get to step aside with someone and get a cup of coffee, you know, while you're just in the kitchen or go for a walk, whatever it is. And it seems like you were providing that for your room and it's really necessary. And you don't get free lunch. Well, that's true. (laughs) That's true. So tell tell them all. No more free lunch, guys. <laughs> oh, we need to go back. Um, MJ, <laughs> uh, MJ, tell us a little bit, please, about running your room and what did, what did the writers' room look like um, for Women of the Movement. <laughs> It was because I'm currently like literally staffing because I sold a, a series over the summer when Stop I got back to production. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently staffing my Hulu show. It's called Black Cake. It's an adaptation of a novel that is not out yet. It'll be out soon. But so I'm just I'm reflecting on that, that, <laughs> that, mo- that time, that moment in time, because it was my first time uh, as, a, as a showrunner. Yeah. And um, it was a virtual room. The world had just shut down, like I'd mentioned. It's five-week writer's room. I was like, <laughs> I have only been in really long. Like I've, and I'm always, ex- every show I've ever been on, I've been on for 20 weeks and extended, 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 extended. Obviously this is, there were, there were six episodes, two were, two scripts were written. There were four, and I think because I pitched such a detailed <laughs> Bible, they're like, "Oh, she doesn't, she doesn't need very much time or very much else." But like, even these true, like I didn't have a research assistant. I didn't have an assistant, wow. so um, it was very challenging. But I felt like I had so much to prove. Um, like being number one, being a black woman, being a woman, being a first-time showrunner, I'm like, I have so much to prove. I can't fail. I have to show them that I can do it. Um, now I've I've learned that. I didn't need to do that. <laughs> that <laughs> I should have just asked for more. <laughs> and I, I will do that. I have done that this time. But yeah, it was five, five weeks. Um, and I had three, I was, I was able to get three writers. Mm-hmm. I made sure that our, our writer's assistant was a writer because I really wanted her to get experience um, co-writing an outline or script. And she eventually co-wrote, co-wrote right. us an outline. 
and it was Zoom. I do I can't do the staring at Zoom all day long. I, I will lose my mind. Um, so we did like, you know, not super, super long days on Zoom, but a lot of independent work. And then we'd come in and hit it hard um, first thing in the morning with like the, the homework that I had assigned. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much material to read. There's just so much research, so many documentaries to watch. Um, and that it was, it was a lot, but, and it's a, a miracle that we did it, but, but we did. Um, and uh, this time I get 12 weeks, so. Oh, good. That's a great, fast improvement. That's fantastic. Um, what what did you take from shows you had worked on uh, to run this room? Well, I've, every showrunner is different, and um, I I have never done a room where no writer um, was part of production. That mm. was odd. I mean, that was very hard for me because I, you know, it was the pandemic as well. So there were all those COVID challenges, but like I had to be on set. I had to do prep, post and production simultaneously and casting like huge ensemble cast for these episodes completely like just on my iPad, rewriting on set. And um, so it was, it was a lot, um, but I had, I was so fortunate on my first show, uh, The Fosters, I was a baby writer. Like I was on set one day with my one of my EPs, one of the showrunners, and then he left. So I ran. I learned how to run set wow. immediately, and so I and I was able to be in post a little uh, in the casting process, uh, quite a uh, quite a bit. And then shots fired. My second show. I was a co producer, and I got to work for uh, Reggie Rock Bythewood and Gina Prince Bythewood, who are now like family members to me and uh they just once I sort of showed them I was I was in this and I I just wanted to service the story it meant something it meant a lot to me they were like you're running the show with us we don't care what your title is you're gonna you're gonna be on to alone in North Carolina you're gonna be pitching arcs to actors you're gonna be rewriting other scripts like so they really they really put me through sort of showrunner training before I actually did the WGA yeah. showrunner training years later and then 13 reasons why was like a masterclass in show writing because it was a massive show before it had premiered. We were working on season two. I was running my own room for the first time. Mm -hmm. Three supervising producers had their own room. So we ran our own rooms and it was just such a complex uh, show and the different multiple timelines and the different arcs. It was really challenging. I was on set all the time traveling, um, flying up to Northern California. So I got even more production experience. And then Handmaids was sort of a, traditional writer's room where not everybody went up to set. I actually was able to, I think probably because of my title and because I, I had a lot of um, experience, but it was very much like you're in the writer's room, you know, together for, you know, all day. And then you go off, you write your outline, you pitch it. Um, and so I just come by, I used everything from all, like I just took pieces that worked. I felt like from each show uh, with the exception of production and tried to implement it. Um, just making sure for me that every writer, that no one ever felt tokenized, that everyone felt safe to share, um, that nothing was ever, that we just were really open and, and vulnerable and supportive of uh, that was just really important to me. And I, I hope that the writers felt that. Well, they're all here waiting. What's going on? <laughs> they have some thoughts. They have some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fantastic. I mean, it sounds like your your experiences have well prepared you for this and, you know, you also yourself were, were able to prepare, you know, like, so there's something intrinsic to you that was ready for this moment. I'm really lucky because I'm learning as I'm interviewing writers. I, every time I say, have you been to set? How much production experience? Not a lot of writers. Yeah. 
now are like all these mini rooms and getting all the scripts written before you go to production. They don't get to go on set. They don't get to be in the editing room. That so when you sell your show or you get your first opportunity, you you haven't been you haven't been there. And so it's really important for me on Black Cake that I had that I can facilitate these experiences for my writers and it, to the I'm going to try really hard if, even if it's just like a one mix or sound spot it like one dance I don't know any anything one casting although we're going to be on our iPad so scratch that one but like um, but yeah, yeah I'm, it's, I'm glad to hear that yeah yeah um, and and Rodney the same question you know we talked about your resume and mm-hmm. all these rooms that you worked in what do you feel like you brought you took from these rooms what's the good stuff that you were able to pick up along the way that you could apply to running your own rooms i learned to suffer well um i I think um don rio was my first mentor of sorts he created uh my wife and kids with Mm -hmm. daniel wayans action the john larroquette show blossom and a few others and um when he met me i'm not sure i knew the complete alphabet I may have known to like N or something. Um, And he sort of took the raw stuff that I had and saw, he saw whatever he saw in me and helped me calm down. Uh, He helped me um, just kind of structure my thoughts. And I think that there's there's this trend that as I became a calmer, better person, I think I became a better leader Um, and a better producer. Um, Being able, I I was fortunate that from the beginning, I was able to talk to the actors and go to set and on Everybody Hates Chris. Um, I don't know if you've seen the show, but the voiceover that was in the show, I wrote the voiceover and placed it in the show and recorded it with Chris Rock. I had never done any of those things before in my life and had no idea how to do them. I just kept saying yes anytime someone gave me an opportunity to do something. And it it was foreign in the beginning, but after a certain period of repetition of doing it again and again and becoming confident because of that repetition, uh, I was able to get better. Being able to manage people, has a lot to do, I believe, with self-awareness um, and empathy and your ability to um, relate to how the person across from you feels and um, convey that sense of calm and peace and that everything is okay. I didn't always have that, um, really. That's come in the last few years as I was always so, there's this weird thing with insecurity. I think it creates its own kind of boundary between you and other people that when you're afraid that people are going to see whatever fears and insecurities are in you, it's difficult to be empathetic to the person that's across from you. And again, like I said, as I got more comfortable, as I became more comfortable with myself, it became easier to be able to lead and work with people because that's really what it is more so than leading. It's working Mm -hmm. with other people to achieve a common goal. And again, that, that came from Don Rio. Initially, I was fortunate. I think a lot of times you become a prisoner to the first person that led you. You think that's the way it is and I have to do it like that person. Um, and he did it in such a smooth kind of gentle way that it just felt like you were coming to work and having a good time. Um, I still try to work with that in mind of trying to enjoy the thing. Um, 
we're fortunate in the sense with uh, winning time that COVID kind of stopped. It's taken us about three years to write and produce this show, maybe longer. Um, I'm getting old, I forget. But, you know, COVID gave us an opportunity to go back and look at the scripts and really need them out and um, to make them the best that they could possibly be. And uh, I don't know how that's going to affect season two, unless Omicron or <laughs> the next variant uh, comes along. But um, yeah, I'm not big on the, the uh, Zoom thing either. I think um, what we used to do is take breaks. Like we were coming for an hour and a half, two hours, and then, all right, let's get back together at three and go do something else. Or, you know, so it didn't become monotonous. But, um, you know, we ha we've had really, on this show, really small rooms. Mm -hmm. uh, like three, four people, uh, max. And, um, and, but I've been on shows where they've been 12 and 13 and the, uh, the staff writers and story editors didn't get to talk. Um, it's, uh, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. Um, it, it really feels like, I mean, you, you all touched on this, but it feels like a loss in the industry that, you know, rooms are smaller, orders are smaller. People aren't getting these this uh, opportunity to work on set, to work in post, whatever it is, uh, pre-production. Is this going to change? You know, no. what are we what are we looking at for the foreseeable future? When I think more no? of the I think more of the same. I think yeah. um, you know this. I'd never experienced uh, this ten week room thing, and then you know for scale, and then you go away. Um, I'd always been a part of uh, the whole thing. That's when I came into it. But I think um, if it's cheaper and there's a way to sort of cut corners and get what you want, which are the scripts, um, and you don't have to pay like everything coming out of the gate, I think that will continue to be, you know, the rule. I could be wrong, but. It makes sense, though. Um, and are you all finding that because of this, the workload, uh, the onus is heavier on the showrunner than maybe it has been in the past? MJ says yes. Well, for me, specifically, just with women of the movement, I that, there was no one. I mean, I, yeah. I had my writer's room, and then, then it was months and months and months before the, the, the show was ordered. And so, uh, you know, doing casting, um, luckily, you know, the director of, of the first episode, I know, I knew very well. Um, so I could, did have someone creatively to bounce things off of. Um, but then, you know, on set, like it was, it was crazy. I've never, I mean, I, the shows I've been, I've never seen a showrunner on set as much as I, I mean, I left set maybe four days out of four months that we were there. Um, and, and. Uh, very rarely on previous shows that I've worked on where the showrunners on set that often, uh, if at all, yeah. on some of them. So because their writers were running set, the writer producers. So yeah, it was just like on every other show I worked on when it was my episode, you know, I'd give notes on on, on who's going to be cast in my episode and, and costumes. And, you know, so I, it was just me because all my writers, they were doing other things. They, you know, they were all working other jobs at that point. So I couldn't, I would never even think to, you know, burden them with that. But yeah, I feel it was, it was, it was for me specifically filming in January of 2021 and then getting it all done. It was, it was a lot. I, I can imagine. Um, Simone, what's your what's your take on this? 
Um, I was the producer on set for Single Drunk Female. Uh, and that was the first time that I had run a set before. So that was Baptism by Fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, I tell learned, us everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really, I just learned everything from, you know, giving actors notes, rewriting things, to dealing with the network, to dealing with somebody who doesn't want to say a line, to, you know, all those things that happen that, you know, they don't teach you in film school. I didn't go to film school, so I didn't even get that. <laughs> but, um, you know, but at the same time, like, I will say after that experience, I am confident that I could run a set anywhere. I mean, maybe not in Toronto in the winter, maybe not there. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I don't know, it was invaluable. I'm so glad I got it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, Atlanta in the summer, I don't know if you've ever been there, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hot. It's humid. It was like the rainforest and never dried. Nothing ever dried ever. Um, and we had lightning strikes. So that's when there's lightning and you have to stop production for a half an hour. And if there's another strike, another half an hour. We had COVID shutdowns like everybody else had, um, which was also very stressful. But masks work. Just want to say that. Um, and, you know, but yeah, I think that I'm lucky that I'm a quick learner because I think some people without the experience are not going to be as lucky. And, and frankly, I think that they should get that experience. I also was raised on sitcoms. So I was on set a lot with the Connors mm -hmm. as well. So I had that to go back to, and I had Bruce to call and be like, ah! you know, and I did. So um, all of that happened. Yeah. So what, is there a piece of advice? And I would ask this of all of you, but Simone, we'll start with you. Um, is there a piece of advice that you can give to a new writer who maybe hasn't been on set yet, who is getting that first opportunity? What's what's one thing they ought to know? I think um, Carrie, Carrie Fisher said this, set is one of the most stressful places in the world, but it but it helps to be calm. Like, so, like and I, I agree with that assessment. Um, and Rodney said it also earlier, I think being in the calm presence and, and not adding to any drama off offset um, is always helpful. That's, mm -hmm. you know, and just learning and just watching the, the whole thing happen and not inserting yourself unnecessarily, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, makes sense. Um, MJ, what about you? I think to um, have, sit down with your showrunner or whomever you report to before you go to set and ask questions. Uh, if you weren't in the tone meeting, just try and get all the tone notes, just come in really, really prepared. And if you can reach out, let them know, introduce yourself before you get to set. Um, so people know you're coming and uh, let them know that you were there to help them. Because I have been on sets um, where it feels like when you're the writer <laughs> coming to set, like you're the enemy, when you're there to like make everybody look good and you want to report back wonderful things and you want the cuts to be amazing the dailies to be amazing the performances to be amazing you want you want everybody to succeed and I don't know why um we are seen as the enemy like as we're not just there to monitor the words it's not just about the words it's about the tone of the show it's about a prop we discuss a, a costume it's making yeah it's just to make sure the show remains the show mm -hmm. um and uh so just letting everyone know I'm friendly presence I'm here to support you um, to just give warning without saying it's a warning before you show up. Because sometimes, like, I, I've literally shown up on set where people are like, what did we do? 
why why are you here before it was my show like why are you here why did they send you you didn't write this episode i understand why you're why you're here and i say i just it's just i'm here to support you i'm here like if you have any questions about where we're going after this episode you know what we're doing in the room right now i'm here to support you so i think asking questions really knowing your script especially if it's not yours um or if it was you know rewritten which they often often are just coming in prepared, prepared, prepared um, so that you can, if they do, if you are asked questions that you'll be able to answer them confidently. And if actors want to understand why your boss wrote this scene the way your boss did, that you can answer them. Uh, I think just being prepared and asking as many questions as possible before you go up there and being calm, of course, and lovely and getting to know everybody, introducing yourself. And it, it just is really, really great advice. Yeah, which also has become so much harder with all the COVID yeah. protocols and like, <laughs> never mind that you can't see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, Rodney, what is, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to give to someone, uh, a new writer coming to set? I, mean, I agree with everything they've said. Uh, I, I think to understand why you're there um, beyond everything that's been said um, and maybe it's been said as well, to be a source of strength and leadership. And hopefully, um, again, that word calm comes up. Um, I try to foster a sense of team um, and try to build relationships with the actors and director and the other producers and the crew. um, So that again, you aren't the adversary. When you come in, you're not the enemy, that you're um, you're a presence of a symbol of good. Uh, when you get there and um, you know that when people see you coming um, it actually relaxes them more so than gets them to tense up because um, everybody's um, everybody takes their job seriously everybody wants to do a good job and if you can come in and help them be um, if you can be a positive um, more often than not you're you're welcomed you know, if not, you have, and everything becomes tight, um, you're going to delay things and your presence there probably isn't going to be welcome. Do you think, I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know the answer to this. Um, and I wonder where this tension comes from. Is it people's just general uh, anxiety about the boss being present <laughs> Or I think it's there, change. Yeah. I think that they think you're coming to change something. Gotcha. Like they're confident in knowing what they had to do when they walked in. And as soon as you, they see you, uh-oh, you know, are you going to change a scene? Are you going right. to change dialogue? Or you go, what are you going to do? Why are you here? And as soon as, again, sometimes you're there just to make sure things are moving in a direction and there to be of service, you know, not so much just to be there to be a snitch. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to ask about putting together a room, uh, a writer's room. Um, MJ, you say you're you're starting on that right now. You're in the midst of it right now. Um, what are you looking for? What are you reading? Um, what are you hoping for? <laughs> when you read something. Uh, and then I'll, I'll ask that of all of you. But MJ, what's your experience in the moment? I'm reading a lot and it's overwhelming um, because it's just launching a show and 
then start focusing on a completely different show at the exact yeah. same time. It's been challenging, but I'm reading, I'm reading a lot. And I don't like to just read like the first 10 pages. Like people say all the time, I feel guilty personally, because I'm a writer, you know, and I, so I want to want to read the whole thing. I try to, for me, it's even if it's, you know, like this, this black cake, for example, is, you know, a family drama murder mystery, um, very character driven. But I, you know, read like really amazing, weird, like horror. And I just, it moved me. And so what I keep saying when I'm reporting back about like what I'm looking for, just I want to be moved. I want to feel something. I want to be horrified, disgusted, excited, scared. I want to cry. I want to just be moved. And I just want to get a sense of the writer's worldview a little bit through whatever I'm reading. Um, and those are the people that I've been uh, calling that I've been setting meetings with. And then during the meeting, uh, are, are you easy to talk to? Are you, are you willing to be vulnerable? Um, kind, you know, uh, like, it's just really like, it's like a date kind of, you're just like, do we vibe? Because yeah. you have communication and being right. You're just talking a lot and you're sharing and then you're turning it into stories and you're figuring you're breaking together and you have to know how to communicate with each other so that nobody's feelings get hurt. And sometimes they do. Um, you know, it's just getting the person's vibe. But for me, for each project, it's very different. Um, for Black Cake, it's a very international story. So I'm looking for people uh, who have international stories as part of their life, or whatever that means. It could mean a number of things. Because I'm very much like grew up poor in the Midwest. I like didn't go international until I was like until like ten years ago. I think I got my first, got my first passport stamp. So just people who can really. Uh, fill in the blanks where I, I feel like maybe I'm lacking and um, just, but it's really, it's so much about just the, the energy um, and in the meeting and, and then who are they on the page? You know, it's the mm -hmm. first step though, because I'm not going to just like see a couple things in their blurb about who they are and then read a, a script that it doesn't move me. I'm not going to call that person in. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Simone, let's talk about um, staffing on a single drunk female. Um. I definitely wanted the, the story is, um, there, it's diverse. There are, um, there's queer characters, there's um, people of color, there's, you know, um, it's set in Malden, Massachusetts where I grew up and that's accurate. Um, I think that we went after that and, and I agree with MJ. I think something that moves me, this is like my show was a comedy. So I did look for funny people um, and the other thing that I looked for specifically was any experience with sobriety, which is very specific, but I did want other people to sort of bounce things off of because not every sober experience is my sober experience. Sure. And, um, we did have, a another member, um, that was sober. So she and I would be the, the sober click and everyone else would hate us. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, it was my first time hiring a room. It, it, I was used to being on the other side or I was used to being the assistant for that. So I've seen everything. Um, I've seen really great scripts and then the people come in and they completely shit the bed. I've seen so, so scripts, they come into the room, they sell it like crazy. And you're like, how did this person get this job? So, you know, I think, but also you never, I'm going to say this and I probably shouldn't, you never know when you're hiring someone if they're not going to annoy you and piss you off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've learned this so many times in so many different ways. And you just, you know, because it's one day, you get one date. 
you know, and like, usually it takes three or four dates to know if someone's a psycho, right guys? So, (laughs) you know, that's the big, like, like you are gambling and in that gamble, I think, I think one does get better with the gamble. I think I, the second season, if we get one knock on wood, you know, I will do a better job of like asking more specific questions, but um, you just never know what you're going to get. That's it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's, yeah. that's part of the job, right? Is then you have to right. deal with that being <laughs> stuck in that room with that person yes. for however many Yes, you do. <laughs> um, same question. Uh, Rodney, again, you know, you've been on both sides of this. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about staffing rooms and, and what's most important to you. I think um, voices, as mm-hmm. much as writing acumen, you want great writers, but I think a lot of people who know how to be technically proficient um, because there's so much stuff out there, but having an actual voice um, that works in concert with the, what the project is and my areas of, um, you know, you need women to be able to write to women. You need people of different walks of life to be able to speak to the areas that um, I don't know and sensibilities that I may not be as familiar with. Um, and I think that comes through just reading with an ear and hearing who this person is and how they tick. And then when you sit down and you meet them, um, again, uh, as Simone said, and, you know, are they crazy? You know, am I going to want to punch them in the face, you know, after a week and a half? Um, what is that thing? Because I understand me and I know the things that um, I can deal with and not deal with. <laughs> No one's perfect, including me, but, you know, if if I'm focused on your personality more so than moving the train, keeping the train on the yeah. track, then there's a problem. And how will you work within a group dynamic? And um, do you know that thing of when someone's pitching to shut up and let them pitch before you critique their pitch? And... You know, it, it's all, uh, again, group dynamics. Would this person be the type of person that can work with not only me, but other people? Um, and then again, back to their scripts, you know, is there something that I can hear a music in their stuff that's different um, and something that I think speaks to what this project is? Yeah, absolutely. It all, uh, uh, that all makes sense. And it's like, I think the way to get people there is just to give the advice that they just need to keep writing, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's the best way to find your voice. It's the best way to be the best you can be on the page is keep I, I think I think MJ said this earlier, but um, it's something I used to do almost for the first decade of my career was I wasn't writing from like me. I wasn't mm-hmm. writing from my heart. I was writing from things I thought would sell and that was sort of connected to things that I'd already done. And only when I started to write me uh, and the thing that makes me unique and what I really care about, did I find some traction beyond just staffing. Yeah. You know, it, it's like that's when people began to take me seriously as a creator is, again, when I was writing intrinsically from what I knew and what I felt. Do you think that's a new newish phenomenon uh not for writers but for buyers i mean it feels like 10 years ago that wasn't always the case yeah i mean when i would pitch and again i would stay with the structure um 
they'd listen, you know, and be polite. But when I began to speak from me, yeah. um, I got a different type of attention and a different type of affirmation, even though I wasn't necessarily looking for it in this, you know, more recent stage, it does connect you to the person that's across from you just from a human place. And it makes the conversation flow better. And again, it's more honest. I think that with so much competition, you got 600 channels or whatever it is. Um, if you're just coming from a rote place of connecting the dots to get to the end, um, now, you know, people want material that's going to inspire people to watch their show um, in a different type of way with a different level of competition out there. Yeah. And I think if you can find more authentic stuff that speaks to the viewer in a different type of way, in a more honest type of way, um, if I were one of the gatekeepers um, that were buying things, I would certainly be looking to authentic experiences and voices uh, more so than just technical acumen. Yeah. Um, we're going to leave it right there. Um, we're going to get the plugs and then we'll we'll find out what you're all watching on television right now. Uh, Women of the Movement, MJ, is currently airing. Yes. Thursdays, 8 p.m. 7 Central on ABC, streaming the next day on Hulu. All Perfect. four episodes. Oh, they're all by this time. They're all. Yeah, I think they're all, Hulu, um, all on Hulu. <laughs> folks should check it out. It's really I mean, it's really well done. Uh, it's really an impressive series, something to be proud of. And we can't wait for your for your next show. Black Cake sounds great. Black cake, thank you. Um, Simone, single drunk female. I think by the time this comes out, the the uh, will have premiered. But tell okay, folks where so, they can watch it. Uh, it'll be on Thursday nights after Gronish, and it'll be on the next day on Hulu. It'll be it's on Freeform initially. Yes, I got screwed it. that. I'm not good at this yet. I'll get better. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I just want to tell everyone: go to Hulu. Just start watching <laughs> anything you can. You're bound to hit some of our shows. Um, thank you all so much for being here. We'll end as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, the rooms that you're currently in? And Rodney, let's start with you on this one. I tend to watch more documentaries. I just watched one on Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X uh, mm. on Netflix. And I think because I write so much fiction, I enjoy the balance of nonfiction to make me feel grounded and... Um, so a lot of documentaries, more so than anything else. Hemingway, um, some mm -hmm. stuff. So there you Great. go. Um, MJ, what are you watching? I like to escape uh, the darkness of the things that I often write. Mm -hmm. uh, I do that with RuPaul's Drag Race, season 14. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just from here last week. I love RuPaul's Drag Race. I, every season I've watched at least five times. And Queer Eye. Uh, you know, anything that just lifts me up and makes me feel like there's so much good in the world. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Simone, what are you watching these days? I I just, I know they're, they just finished, but Insecure was one of my favorite shows of all time. And then Succession, the season was amazing. And I thought the season finale was crazy. Oh so I'm, I can't wait for it to come back. It's like my obsession. So, <laughs> yeah. These are good answers. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Good luck with all the shows and all thank that comes you. next. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you all. Yes, nice likewise. You. Good to meet you guys. <laughs> right. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram 
at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.